Hey, it's really good to see each and every one of you. Um, I have to say that I've gotten really uh, familiar with uh, shooting a message into a video camera. And at first it was very strange, but uh, as week by week went by, uh, the more familiar it became. And I actually started to enjoy it. And so when I woke up this morning, I thought to myself, oh no, I've got a, a live group of people this morning. Uh, I can't uh, shut off the video camera and do a redo, right? So uh, if there are uh, foibles, things that might go wrong this morning, uh, we're just gonna keep moving, okay? It's really good to have each and every one of you here. And I know so many of you have been watching uh, the videos over the past few months. And uh, I wanna say thanks for tuning in. Um, and uh, it's, it's been really, really interesting journey, I think, for all of us. Uh, something like we have never experienced before. Uh, but this morning, as we've gathered together again as God's people, um, it's just really good. I know there's been a lot of anticipation and excitement about gathering together again. And so I just want to say it is so good to see your faces, to see you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to uh, the book of Romans. Romans is in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to look at Romans 12 again. Romans 12. Last week, we began a new uh, sermon series uh, called Essential Faith. Essential Faith. And this idea was really kind of inspired um, several months ago when we started talking about essential workers. Remember that conversation? Everybody stay home except for the essential workers. Now, I don't fall into the essential workers category, and I know many of you do not either, but all of a sudden we started having this conversation. Who's essential? Who's necessary? Who's absolutely critical? Who is core uh, to, to, to show up to work, to leave their house, leave the quarantine, go out into the world, and keep the rest of us safe? And early on, uh, the list was uh, very short and it was very obvious. Well, let's, let's keep the medical people going, right? They're pretty essential. We can all agree on that. And let's keep the, uh, the first responders, the police, the firefighters. Um, they're pretty important too. They're, they're essential workers. And uh, let's keep people at the grocery stores and people who are growing food. And um, let's just keep it really, really simple. And early on in the quarantine, our essential workers were about this many people, right? But did you notice over time as the quarantine went on, everybody started looking at themselves thinking, well, I, I think I'm essential, right? And, and at certain, some point in time, we all thought, well, I, I get a paycheck, and so I'm essential because I need a paycheck, right? And so the list got really, really long. And pretty soon, we're confused about who the true essential workers are and who just wants to, well, I'll just say it, get a paycheck, right? We got to keep going, right? And I think in many ways, this has been the dilemma of the church for thousands of years early on. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, it was so simple. And they agreed very quickly what was essential, what was core to being a follower of Jesus Christ. But then when the church started getting together, they started mucking things up and it got a little less clear. Because what does it mean to be a follower as part of the church? And the list of conditions or stipulations or understandings of what does it mean to be a Jesus follower and be a part of his church, the family of God, the list grew and grew and grew. 
And it seems like every so often the church gathers together and says, oh yeah, what's essential again? What's really important? What's core? What is foundational and fundamental to following Jesus and being a part of the family of God, the church? And so that was the inspiration behind uh, these few weeks. And uh, I've got a three-legged stool here to make it really simple, to give us a visual for us to understand what does it mean to be the church. And last week we talked about the first leg of the stool. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 tells us that the first leg of the stool is having right thinking. That we have to have a right understanding of God's Word. And we talked about last week how this is one of the most offensive things in our society today. Because this idea of orthodoxy or orthodox Christian faith, you break down the word ortho meanings, means right, it means true, it means straight, it means it's it. Which also means, of course, if there's a right, there has to be a wrong. And we live in a post-truth culture. And our post-truth culture simply says this, you have your truth, I'm going to have my truth, we're going to just agree to disagree, but the number one rule is you cannot criticize my truth. And the problem with that as Christ followers is that God claims to have the truth with a capital T, that there is a right, there is a wrong, and the right way is following Jesus, and the wrong way is not. And that's so offensive to the world. Jesus claimed this ultimate truth that he was the son of God and people didn't like it and so they hung him on a cross. And so we talked about last week what it means to have uh, orthodoxy or uh, right thinking. Doxy, think of doctrine, think of teaching, think of truth. And, but that's just one leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool that we're going to talk about today is orthopraxis. Ortho, again, meaning it's true, it's right. Praxis means how we practice it, how we live it out, how we behave. Praxis means our actions and what we do with our Christian faith, with our knowledge, our doctrine. So today we're going to look again at Romans 12, looking at this idea of orthopraxis. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful sunshining day. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to gather together as your people, to worship you, to serve you again in your creation, in your sanctuary. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you've given us your church, and that you've given your very life for us and for all of humanity. And so, Lord, dwell among us today. Renew us, encourage us. God, help us to hear some good news. But God, also renew us and transform us, change us, mold us, shape us, and challenge us. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, many of you know the story, or at least parts of the story, of Mahatma Gandhi. 
Gandhi, of course, was a very influential, educated leader and lawyer on the subcontinent of Africa, of, of, of Asia, of India, right? He spent a lot of time in Africa as well, too, in South Africa. But one of the things we love about Gandhi is how he inspires us. The ways in which he lived his faith in such uh, remarkable ways. What many people do not know about Gandhi is that when he was a young Hindu man growing up in India, he started reading the Bible. And he became really interested in scripture. And he started studying the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Gandhi especially was inspired uh, by uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he just poured through the scripture and he poured through the studies of God's word. And he became so inspired. And Gandhi thought to himself, we've got problems in India. We've got problems in the Hindu religion. We've got this caste system that some people are better than other people. And Gandhi thought to himself, I wonder... I wonder if Christianity is the answer to the caste system, the answer to the division between people. And so Gandhi actually made a decision. I'm gonna, I think I need to convert and become a Christian. And so Gandhi showed up on a Sunday morning to come to church, to learn about Jesus, to go to worship and study uh, the doctrine and the teachings of Jesus and the church. And he was so excited. But on the day that Gandhi showed up to a Christian church service, the ushers said, you can't worship here. You need to go worship with your own people. He was living in a part of India that was segregated. And so Gandhi thought to himself, why would I convert to being a Christian? And in his autobiography, he would later write, he said, you know, if Christians also have a caste system, what's the point? I might as well just stay a Hindu. And you know, Mahatma Gandhi was true. He spent the rest of his life being a Hindu. You know, our Christian theology matters. It matters a whole lot about what we think, but it also matters how we behave, how we live out our Christian faith in the world. Because so often, even in our day to day, what people read in scripture and how they look at the lives of Christians, they don't line up. And so many people today say, what's the point? They, they, they talk about one thing, live another way. And this is why orthopraxis, or how we practice, how we live out our faith, matters so much. Faith is a verb, right? It's not just learning and studying, but it's, it's using our hands. It's how we interact. It's how we love and care for one another. And this is why we're talking about the second leg of the stool. You know, each leg of the stool, um, they are essential. They are critical. But here's the truth. You can go through life missing a leg of the Christian faith, and you can kind of make this work, right? But it doesn't last very long, and it falls apart pretty quickly. And I bet you nobody would volunteer to come up here and sit on this, right? 
not very stable. Orthopraxis, how we live our life, is absolutely critical. It is essential uh, to our uh, faith walk in Jesus Christ. I'd like to talk a little bit um, after I give you an opening, uh, give you the scripture text this morning. So hopefully you've got your Bibles out this morning. Romans 12, we are going to look at what uh, uh, the Apostle Paul has to say uh, about what it means to live out our faith. Paul writes this, uh, Romans 12, beginning with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, I want to pause and stop there for just a moment. Because there's this common idea today that I can be a Christian, but I don't need to belong to a church. And I get it, right? Belonging to a church is messy. People at church are messy. There are sinners in church, right? I mean, you guys are here today. There's just a lot of messiness that goes on in the life of the church. So I understand why, why people say, I just want to follow Jesus. I just don't want to be a part of a church. But Paul makes a really strong statement in Romans 12 here. He says that we actually belong to one another. See, we didn't come here this morning just to kind of hang out together and show up and, and, and be together. Paul says we belong together. We are connected with each other. That's a really strong statement. I mean, can you imagine somebody saying, hey, I play baseball. I'm a baseball player. I just don't play on a team, right? I mean, what, what would we call a baseball player who doesn't play on a team? Well, unemployed, right? Yeah, okay, right. But what else? Just a guy in tight pants. That's all he is. You cannot be a baseball player if you don't play on a team. Being a Jesus follower is a team sport. You can't do it alone. And I understand that it's hard to be a part of a team. This church is messy and it's hard. But Paul says we belong to one another and we all have different gifts. Let's keep reading. Paul continues in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance uh, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul makes it very clear. I've given you gifts as a church, as individuals. Use your gifts. I've given them to you. It would be silly for us to not use our gifts in the life of the church. 
But oftentimes, this is what we do. I understand. I get it. There's fear. He's not really sure how to use our gifts. You know, I don't know what your life has been like over the past few months, but I was thinking, what if somebody came up to you on January 1st, 2020, and said, this year, uh, in a few weeks, we are going to have a global pandemic, and then we're going to have an economic meltdown, we're going to have a stay-at-home order, so everybody's going to drive each other crazy at the house, and it's, we're going to make it even better than that. We are going to have rioting. We're going to have all sorts of hatred and anger and looting going on. I mean, most of us would have said, I don't want 2020, right? I'll just stay in 2019. But this has been the world in which we've lived over the past few months. And if you're anything like me, I spend a lot of time just, Lord, I don't know what to do. These are big issues. These are issues far bigger than myself. These are issues far bigger than our community or our church. Lord, I don't know what to do. And it's so hard to know what to do uh, with our gifts and how God is, uh, give, what God has given to us in moments like this. Am I alone? Anybody else feel this way? What, what do we do, right? What do we do? Paul tells us we're supposed to do stuff with our faith, not faith, not just learn about Christian faith, but actually do something with it. And I don't know about you, but I can easily become paralyzed. Think to myself, you know, I'm not sure how much this impacts me anyways. I'm not a racist. I don't beat people up. I don't kill people. I mean, it's really easy to go to, if you're, if you're like me, it's, it's really easy to go to that place of, I didn't do anything. Why is everybody all of a sudden mad? And I feel like they're mad at me. I mean, what do you do? But the truth is, our, our world is hurting. Our community is hurting. Our nation is hurting. People are just really struggling. And I don't want to do anything. Because I'm not sure what to do. And I can get really paralyzed. You know, I'm reminded of um, one day Jesus was gathered with a group of people. And they were talking about what it means to follow God. And Jesus, like in Jesus' typical fashion, starts telling stories. He says, you know, there was this guy. He was going uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was walking along the road, and pretty soon he got robbed and beat up and left alongside the road. And along came a Levite, a religious guy, and he just walked right on by. He said, then pretty soon came a priest, and that priest did the same thing. He walked around that person who was beat up lying on the side of the road. And then along came a Samaritan. And he picked him up, and he took him to a local hospital. He paid his bills. He looked at the innkeeper and said, hey, I'll be back if you need some more money. I mean, we know the story, right? This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think what's really spoken to me about the parable of the Good Samaritan, especially in recent weeks, is that doing nothing is not okay in Jesus' book. 
walking around and ignoring the problems and the hurt and the pain. It's not okay with Jesus. But what do you do? What do I do? What do we do? It's not easy to know what to do in a moment like this in our nation. You know, I think God is calling us to live a different way. Jesus' brother, James, he said it this way in James 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take not this advice. Everyone, take this advice. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Over the past few weeks, I've thought to myself, wait, wait, that's, that's not me. I didn't do that. And I, I try to justify how I feel people are pointing fingers at me, at us. And the truth is, I don't, I, I, my natural instinct is to not listen. It's to speak while other people are speaking at me and trying to justify and I think we would all do well to heed the words of James, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I've wrestled with listening over the past few weeks because I got stuff to say and you probably do too. But I've tried really hard to listen And I've been absolutely convicted that this is a time for the church to be engaged and not just to walk around and ignore the problem. So I wonder how much over the past few weeks we've approached someone from the black community and said, how you doing? What do you think? I wonder how much over the past few weeks we've approached someone in the Hispanic community. How you doing? What do you think? And just listen and not try and explain, not try to justify, not try to argue, but just to listen to people. I wonder how much over the past few weeks we've approached people in the Asian community, said, how you doing? What do you think? And just listen. Because people in those communities are hurting. And I know most of us did not beat up those people, right? And I don't think any of us consider ourselves racists. But we're all called to be Samaritans. To not just be religious people that walk around and ignore. But to engage and to listen and walk alongside those who are hurting.
You know, one of the interesting things about uh, being in partnership with Union Park is uh, I have a regular opportunity to rub shoulders with the law enforcement folks. And I got to tell you, they are also a hurting community right now. And I've had several opportunities to talk to some of our, our men and women serving in the law enforcement, just saying, how you doing? They just shake their heads and say, it is rough. And they just need someone to listen to them. Because in times like this, so many different groups are getting painted with broad brush strokes. Those people and those people and those people and those people, right? People are hurting. And I think as the church, we have an opportunity, as James says, to be slow to speak and just listen to step into the mess, into the hurt, and into the pain of people's lives. You know, this is our call, this is our mandate as a church, to step into the lives of the brokenhearted, those who are wounded, those who are struggling. I mean, that's why God put us on the planet, so we can share that good news with others. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once wrote this about the church. A church that does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its existence. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to uphold righteousness is a church that has no right to be. God has called us as his church to stand with the marginalized, those who are struggling with injustice, those who are hurting with for all sorts of reasons. And I have no easy answers for any of us today for what does it mean for how we do that beyond intentionally seeking out people who are different than us. We live in a world of echo chambers, right? We, we, we surround ourselves with people who behave like us, who think like us, and then we turn on the news and, and we read about stuff that we already agree with, right? And so then, of course, we retreat to our separate corners of extremism. And I think we live in a day and a time where God is calling us to listen to people, especially who are different than us, people who look different than us, people who think different than us, people who have different lifestyles than us. I think that's what God is calling us today, and I think that's what it means to, to, to uh, live into this idea of living out our faith. Not just talking about our faith, but actually living out our faith in action. You know, at the height of uh, segregation uh, in our own country, it's a story. Um, I don't exactly know where it takes place or took place. But a little girl going into first grade, first day of school, Height of segregation, tension, stress all over the place. And the mom wasn't sure really how this was going to go. But the anxiety in their house was really, really high. But um, the mom said, you know what, 
you got to go off to school. And so the girl reluctantly and nervously went to school. And the mom all day long, she was just so nervous and anxious about how school was going in this, in, in, during this time of great segregation in our nation. Finally, the little girl came home from school. She said, hey, how did it go today? She said, mom, would you believe it? When I got to school, the girl sitting next to me was a black girl. And I was nervous, and she was nervous. We were so scared. And so we just held hands all day long. And I think what we need today, everybody's nervous, everybody's anxious, is to hold hands with one another and to hold hands with people who are different than us, to listen to them, to walk with them. As Jesus has called us to live out our faith, let us pray. God, again, we thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful morning, this time to gather together as your people. And God, the world is not well. Our nation is not well. Our community is not well. But God, you have called us as your church to step into the sickness, into the disease, into the brokenness, into the hurt, and into the pain of all that is broken now. God, you've called us to step out and act. So God, that's going to mean something different for each one of us today and in the days ahead. God, I pray that we would step forward, holding one another's hands, supporting and encouraging one another. And that God, we would hold the hands of others who are afraid and desperately need you. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.